Welcome to episode two of the Boston GAA podcast. In this episode, we speak with Shane Carty about his playing career both in Ireland and in New York City. Shane is a native-born New Yorker who moved to Ireland as a teenager and achieved success at the highest levels of club and inter-county football. We'll also talk to Pat O'Malley and Ashling Kerr, both first-generation Irish-Americans in the Boston area who have played the game and are currently involved with youth development as well as coaching. We'll get their perspective on the future of the games in the area. So without further ado, let's move on and we'll introduce Shane. Thanks for joining the show, Shane. And uh, you know, how are things going at home? I know you were in the championship with Vincent's there and you didn't have a great result yesterday, but overall, how are things going with the GAA and life in general? Um, yeah, so yeah, we had a difficult result yesterday. It didn't go to plan. Um, that's, that's sport, though. Um, you know, it's funny, like club, club football or football in general, any sport really is kind of cyclical as you can, you know, yourself, your teams kind of come and go. And um, I wouldn't say that they were gone, but, you know, four or five years ago, we were in county finals every year. And uh, the last two or three years now, we've been kind of struggling to get back to that level. So um, didn't go to plan yesterday now, but um, we have a lot of young guys coming through. So we might be a bit in, in transition. Um, so we're trying to, to, to blood that as well, you know. But uh, it's been a strange out year just with, with the whole COVID situation and, and even yesterday at the game there's no there's no spectators and no no families or anything like that involved. So it's just it's a, it's a funny time really, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that, you know, uh, a few years ago I was back at home and went to a uh, it was actually the semi finals in Parnell Park, you know, it was five or six thousand people there. Just thinking how how does it feel when you're playing? You know, obviously you want to play, but how does it feel when you're playing with the coaches and that's pretty much it, you know? Does it affect your game at all or I think it does looking back, like you, you um there's not that same kind of intensity of championship football that you normally feel in Parnell Park, like you said, five or six thousand people, whereas in the county final could be could be ten thousand and and they're right on top of you which is great about Parnell Park but um, yeah you, you do definitely miss that atmosphere and you can something happens and you, without even realising then it's you're like oh something big's after happening there that you can hear the crowd before you know what's <laughs> yeah, going on yeah. so you definitely miss that uh, like it's even just training wise you know like we were training groups of small groups of four at the start in like May and then it was uh, like eight to ten in June and then we were kind of back all full training then and just it's been a strange kind of way they've been doing it but uh, I think it's the same for everyone but it just it shows how important you know sport is for everyone's mental health let alone physical health just because everyone talks about it it's, it's the it's the topic of the community in, in, in Ireland anyway as well as in the States as well so yeah. it's uh, just been mad yeah yeah and I suppose people are kind of desperate to to get to get some diversion and distraction from all the gloom and doom you know that's it yeah but um, yeah, I noticed on the Vincent team, you mentioned some young players. Um, you know, I, I actually grew up in Marino myself. Didn't play with Vincent, was uh, with Scully Connell. But there was a lot of people around. I noticed Lambs, Lowry's the strangest there on the team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Eddie's, Eddie's young fella, Eddie Lamb's son is on the team, is he? Sean Lamb. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's 20, 21. So yeah, like we've 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 got a few young guys, but uh, as look, it's all part of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So since you went back to Ireland, and I suppose we'll we'll get to that a little later, but you've had a lot of success 
um, on the playing field. You know, you um, you went from New York. I assume you went straight to Dublin. It is. Uh, you won a club all Ireland in 2013. Uh, 2014, yeah. 2013, 2014, and you were on the Dublin panel or Dublin team that won the All Ireland in uh, 2013. Is that right? No, so I would have been. I moved home. Uh, say home. I moved. Uh, yes. So I'm in 2011, January 2011. So it would be coming up to 10 years in January, and it was actually on a, uh, a study abroad program that I actually done. Um, and I transferred to Vincent's because uh, that's where my my, fam- my grandmother was from Marino and uh, my cousin played hurling with Vincent's um, and he was from Marino. So that it was a, it was a no-brainer, really, that that's where I was going. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I transferred in January 2011. I just rocked up to the club and uh, just said, yeah, I'm looking to play a bit of football. And, and they, they were like, what kind of level? And I said, senior. And... Uh, <laughs> Or two of them kind of laughed. I said, "Okay, well, the under what age is it? Nineteen? And they said, "Well, the under twenty ones are training." And I said, "Right, what night are they training? And where do I need to be?" So uh, I ended up contacting the manager, and he said, "Look, well, we have a game on out in UCD on whatever night it was, Tuesday or whatever." The next day, actually, and I said, "Yeah, Grant." And they were kind of stuck for numbers, so I rent out and I got a lift out and played corner forward. I think I scored four points, and your man was like, "Where is this fella coming from?" Uh, so that was kind of it, and then away we went and just started training with the senior team. And then um, I really had to, to, you know, I was obviously very driven to to play for for, for Vincent and for Dublin. It was kind of my life goal at the stage. Um, that's why I moved over then, and that was it. I, they, Vincent, in fairness, they got me into put me in touch with the right people to get me into DCU. Um, to, to obviously make sure the education platform was was a big factor for me as well. So, yeah. um, so I need to make sure I was ticking that box as well as the football one. Um, and it all kind of spiraled from there. It's been like one big whirlpool, and, and here we are today. You know, so that was that was 2011, 2012, 2011, and then I suppose in 2012 we got a new manager and Tommy Conroy from Vincent's, and he kind of changed the whole culture of the team. Um, and, and really, even with myself, kind of really challenged me in ways, you know, to, to constantly be looking to get better. Um, that whole management team, and that's kind of went on to, I suppose, the success of the team, but and, and myself as well. But that, that was the real change there, really. Yeah. So, um, just tell us why you went, what brought you from New York. So, you were like 18, 19 when you left New York and you went to Dublin? Yeah, I was. Um, just gone 19 um and so i i grew up in in just outside the city in yonkers uh, called uh, yonkers would be just about 15 20 minutes outside of new york city and um well, now both my both of my parents are from dublin and they uh, my dad is on has his own construction company and works very hard over there and i kind of grew up in that uh, middle class irish hard working background and played soccer and Ice hockey were the two main sports because we lived in Canada for a couple of years when I was uh, three or four. Oh, yeah. And so I grew up there and in the Yonkers and didn't really start playing Gaelic football until I was about 14, 13, 14. Uh, it was mainly soccer and ice hockey, like I said. And then I just fell in love with the game and started playing and found just found I was, I was quite good at it. And um, I was kind of maybe 16, 17. I played with New York. 
Um, we played against Mayo in this in the Connacht Championship, and I came on as a sub at 17. I think Aidan O'Shea made his debut that day as well, so it was a, a funny one. Um, and then it was kind of 17, 18, and I just said, like, yeah, I'm kind of good at this, and I'd been seeing players come over the whole time from yeah. Ireland, and I kind of felt like I'm just as good, if not better, than, than most of these guys. Anyway, I should really challenge myself and, and really take the leap and, and everyone comes from Ireland to, to the States but no one ever goes to the way around so uh, my dad was like you, know, you just get the education started away you go we, if that's the dream whatever go yeah. for it you know? yeah because it's uh, you know it's just remarkable that um, you just said you started playing at 14 Gaelic football well yeah it was probably about 13 there was a there was a failed team an under 14 New York failed team that went over to Limerick for the summer and I kind of really got into it then. Yeah. And I, I made, I struggled to even make that team, I'd say. Yeah. And I stepped all forward that year. Um, and that was kind of, I suppose, the foundation really that really gave me the, the draw for it, you know? Yeah. And the failure team, I know, speaking from experience here in the Boston area, where we only started sending failure teams a few years ago, it's a big, it's kind of a big part of the program to keep kids hooked in and interested and involved so for you it sounds like that was really what got you got you kind of hooked on the game oh big time say, like, sinker. once i once i kind of went on that trip um we start playing against other kids our age like to be honest with you we probably i'd probably say that 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 new york failure team had probably more athletic talent than most of the teams we were playing yeah in terms of, like because the american kids are everyone's playing baseball soccer there's so many different sports that um i just thought like they're much more athletically built than probably a lot of the irish kids you know so um that trip definitely was just a great week-long trip in in uh, limerick and then that kind of gave me the draw then to, to stay on now my mother lives in down actually lives down in killaloo at the moment which is not too far from limerick so i actually stayed on for the summers and that's kind of what I done every summer as I stayed on every summer then um, on the summer holidays and, and kind of just played away and trained kind of kicking balls and stuff, you know. So did you do, uh, you know, the way the seasons go for over here, I guess, in the States where there's time you can't do a whole lot and things kind of start up again, April, May. And I know New York is very robust. Um, you know, it's kind of like almost a model for North, all North America the underage system in New York where there's a league you got a dozen teams it's very competitive like were you involved with the ones when you started playing did you do most of your you know kind of playing and training when you'd go to Ireland for the summers or did you play with were you involved in the New York underage scene much? yeah yeah no um we they don't the same kind of season yeah like you said and it kind of always cohorts so like so I played a lot of soccer, so that kind of was the same as the fall season. You played soccer, and then on the on the Sunday mornings, you'd have your 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 GA games. Um, <laughs> only like as a kid, you might play a game, a soccer soccer game on the Saturday, and then on the Sunday, you play your GA game. You might have two GA games if you need to go up and play on the the, the under sixteens or under or the minors, or whatever. Whoever short. <laughs> and I actually remember one day we played an under fourteen game on the Sunday, an under sixteen game. And then they were stuck for a goalie for the minor game. So I played goal for the minors or something like that. Like, uh, there you go. You know? Who were you? What club were you involved with in New York? Rangers. Oh, Rangers. Yeah. Dennis Toomey, I say. He was the, 
as I, I give him all the credit, I said I wouldn't have played any football if it wasn't for Dennis because he'd always ring the house saying, don't forget we have a game now tomorrow. And of course, my dad and the rest of us wouldn't even know what was going on. So he had to, he had to remind us where we to be and all that kind of carry on. So in fairness, he's a saint. I'd say he was kind of a, in your teenage years, a big influence on you. Uh, big time, yeah. He'd have been, uh, like without Dennis, we wouldn't have had, um, I probably wouldn't have kind of got the, the draw for the game in terms of, uh, you know, our club wouldn't have been the best club now. We we were always struggling against your Barnabases and your Rockland. They, I suppose they were probably the top two. Um, so we were always kind of chasing. But um, in fairness, the amount of hours and time that Dennis would put into the, to that club, it's, it's, it's like any other club in, in, in the world, I'd imagine. You know, there's always those kind of people that just have to put all the hours in, and, and he's definitely that guy. Yeah. And... Um... So you, there's there's a I know there's a good rivalry there in you know in New York with the underage kids and I suppose with the competitive you know the competition there you know have kind of kept you interested too mm. you know like you always if you are playing to beat the rivals oh big time it's like Dublin and Kerry or Vincent's and Ballymun or Rangers and Barnabas if we were playing them tomorrow I'd be I'd want to get up and knock lumps out of them any day of the week and I'm sure they're the same you know, so yeah. or or like we we had last year in, in Boston with a few different teams you know so that's just the way it is <laughs> and would you say some of the sports you played like you played hockey you played um soccer and you mentioned soccer been translatable I've heard you know I've heard some people here you know like an awful lot of kids involved in the the GAA scene with some of the clubs that I'd be familiar with also play hockey. Would you say that hockey was kind of a, a sport, maybe the physical nature of it kind of helps you translate to the Gaelic football? I, I'd imagine it does in some way. Yeah. Where, how or, or what way it does, I don't know. <laughs> that, you know, it's like anything, your hand-eye coordination, um, the power maybe, the, the, the body and the body checking, yeah. Um, but like it's like anything. But kids just want to play sport and they just want to be involved. And once it's competitive, and it's and for me it was like I, I always wanted to win, whether it was a race down the road or if it was a an All Ireland final. No matter what, it was the same for me. It's the same mindset that well, you're definitely not winning. I may not win, but you're not winning either kind of thing. Also, that that competitive mindset, and I think that's what you get from 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 sport, and that's um, that's key for kids growing up, no matter what sport it is. Really, it didn't matter what sport you were playing. It was exactly, you were playing. You wanted to beat the next guy. Exactly, yeah. It's just that competitive nature, and I think that's that's key for for kids trying to get to, to any level in in sport, whatever it is. You know. And uh, did you play a little bit with the Dublin? New York, Dublin, GAA club, yeah, involved there. It is. It's a funny story, that one. So, like, so my club, Rangers, underage, they didn't really have, like, a, they didn't train that much, you know. And um, I kind of said to my dad, I think I was, like, 14, I said, I, I wouldn't mind, like, training with a, with a team, you know. And, and he said, well, I know a, fr- a, few, a friend of his, Niall Rice, who played with uh, the Dublin junior team. And I said, you can ring him and see if you can go down and train away. So... Next thing, they, I was down training away, and like these guys, they were a junior team at the time, junior B at the time, and yeah, uh, Paul Crowley was the manager, a big white hall man. He actually played over in the uh, international rules with with Ireland, so obviously he had some serious uh, background in the game himself. Like so, like you, you, really good characters there, and like we hard trying to like, and I couldn't believe it, but uh, like I was only fourteen, and next thing I was. They were saying, "Well, why don't you play?" And and if anyone ever got any any way handsy, <laughs> there would be people jumping in from all sorts, you know. So 
Yeah. Uh, it was great now, I have to say, the Dublin team over there was a, uh, it's, it's a great camaraderie, you know, that people have all over, yeah. all over New York, from, especially from, from Dublin, no? Yeah, I um, actually, I might have mentioned that because um, I grew up at Nile Rice there in um, Fairview, Marino Fairview. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and I'd say if anyone, if anyone did give you any grief, there'd be no better man than Niall. <laughs> yeah. Started out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. My dad would have been good wrestlers together, so. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they did a bit of wrestling, so there you go. They had a bit of background there in their wrestling. Yeah. yeah. The Rises were, um, were big wrestlers. They used to round us up when we were kids to drive us up to the wrestling club. There in Kulak somewhere, Vulcan Wrestling Club. Mm. They got me one day to tell he couldn't walk for about two weeks <laughs> after <laughs> a night in the wrestling but club. He's gotten a few people in, in Gaelic Park now. I'd say they're still they're still not walking right. I'd say. After. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went to then you went to um, to Ireland on. Uh, you have to remind me now. Was it? Isn't, um, it was like a study abroad. So yeah. like I went to um, I own a prep. Would have been the the high school that I went to, and um, it was about fifteen minutes from uh, the house in Yonkers. It was in New Rochelle. Right. So I played. I was I was captain of the soccer team, and we got beaten in a, like a state semi final. So we, we were a decent soccer team. We won the state uh, ice hockey championship, and we. My senior year, I actually was the kicker for the American football team. Really? And they went undefeated and won every single game that year. So, like, the school was a very well-known athletic school. So, yeah. again, competitive. And, and they, it was a Christian brother school. So, whether it was uh, any sport or they were very, I suppose, they wanted to win that. And edu- on, big on the studies then as well. So, yeah. um, I went there. And then they had a, a college then after. So, I went to Iowa College for about a year. And a big part of the college is they have this um, study abroad program that you can you can go on. So I said, yeah, that's grand. That will suit me nicely. And it was kind of like I can do a trial for six yeah. months, see how I get on in Ireland. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, well, look, at least I tried. So we take yeah. it from there. And um, I just got kind of into the, the first team with Vincent's. And the rest is kind of history. They were like, look, why don't you stay and, and play with us? And like you're only 19. And if you're already starting for the team, you know, there's, there's, there's positive signs there. So I just kind of grabbed both hands and, and never really looked back. Did you find when you went to Vincent's now? So obviously when you, you got to Ireland, it was maybe was, was part. I know you obviously you're a you're a very driven person. But when it came to going to Ireland and sort of establishing connections, getting to know people, was that part of what would have got you involved with the, the Gaelic scene or GAA Dublin as well? It's a tough one, like, because you're gone from, like, growing up as a kid in, in, in New York. Now, come here, my, my Irish, like, I'd been, I consider myself an Irish person, so I would have been, like, an Irish American in America. And yeah. now, you're, now you're, you're living in Dublin, and all your friends aren't there, so right. you have to make new friends. Um, now, fair enough, I had a few cousins, and, and um, like I said, my, my mother lived here, my, my nana, so I, I lived with my nana. Uh, that's, it's, it was a massive culture shock straight away, you know, so um, it took a bit of time to get used to it, but like, I knew that, look, I was so determined that I was going to give this a go, and this was my kind of dream, you'd say, that that no matter what, I was, I was willing to, to take the sacrifices, and I knew what what I was getting involved in. So yeah. uh, it was definitely, it took a bit of time. And then again, going to DCU, like again, I didn't know anyone going in there. So I had to start from scratch and just kind of get on with it, you know? Yeah. Would you have found people been skeptical 
at first at least, you know, here's this here's this yank coming over thinking play Gaelic football. You know, do you find you had to prove yourself, you know, say more than you might otherwise have had to if you'd say moved up from the country or something? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, they'd be like, where? New York? Uh, and I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, like, it's funny because the accent kind of eventually started to go because people would just be like, they wouldn't take me serious. They'd be like, are you serious? You'd be playing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, this has to be a wind up. So now, now with people, I, do, I wouldn't even really get into it. But uh, yeah, at the start, the first year or two. But then once you kind of prove yourself, yeah. you know, like going in for a 50-50 ball and you come out and you give a good belt of a shoulder and you let them know, like, look, I'm here and I'm not going away kind of thing. Then people start realizing, you know. Yeah, I heard a story about um, when you won the um, the All Ireland with Vincent in 2014. Yeah. After the well, first of all, I mean, I, you've been you've won a county All Ireland, a club All Ireland, and I, I, now maybe it's an unfair question, but which one gave you more personal satisfaction, the club or the county? Yeah, definitely the club one for me. Um, just the journey that you're on with, with that with the club is nearly like I think it was eleven championship games we had to play. Yeah. And that started maybe in April of twenty thirteen and then it finishes in March twenty fourteen. So it was yeah. a long the long kind of haul. But not even that, just for me. I remember I went to see Vincent's in the All Ireland final in two thousand and eight. Now I was only sixteen at the time, but I went to the bar, the Heritage Bar in McLean on McLean Avenue. Right. And they were playing against Nemo Rangers from Cork that day. And I literally, my dad dropped me to the bar. And, and my dad has no real interest in, in, in GA at all. Like he's, a, like I said, he was into the wrestling and the powerlifting. Like he weightlifted for Ireland, but he had no interest in football. I still don't know if he knows all the rules, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so he dropped me to the bar and I went in and watched it. And I was probably the only person cheering for Vincent's there. And watched it by myself. And I'd, I'd watch most games all over there by myself I'd go in and I'd watch any game really and um, I then so I was like right I need to get that I was only 16 and I was like I'd love to get I need to get onto that team I need to I want to play in Crow Park was kind of the thing for me was to play in Crow Park and uh, so yeah 2014 I was 22 and um, was making that was my first game in Crow Park in a, in a big big uh, big occasion so it was a massive massive uh even just the build up to it with the the club was just crazy you know everything around it and yeah. um i was identical you're kind of the build up can sometimes be so big that you, you underperform and is the fear and, and you don't you don't get the results so like it was like look we need to win this game ultimately and i need to play well so i was yeah. lucky enough that uh we got off to a good start and i think i got a point in like the first 10 seconds and that kind of just settled me then and uh ended up winning so it was a good day and you, you beat Castle Bar Mitchell, wasn't it? Yeah, we beat yeah. them. They're a good team. Like, but I think Dermot probably had the best, one of the best games you've ever had in Crow Park. So, um, yeah, when you have that kind of talent playing, which is well, you know, I always loves that. <laughs> it helps when you've, you know, probably I'm not sure back then if he would have been considered the the best in the land, but he certainly was very close. Um, and I heard a story about an American flag. Yeah, Alan Fagan gave you an American flag. I heard. Yeah, it's a funny one. Like I met, I didn't even, I didn't know Alan until um, won the Leinster final, which would have been back in December. And um, I, I, I was introduced to this guy up from Boston, and I said, "Geez, all right, how's it going?" And we kind of got chatting, and he didn't, he didn't really know the the, the story either. So uh, anyway, so he said, "Geez, you're an American." I said, "Yeah, yeah, be proud, proud to be an American," kind of thing, you know. And he was like, uh, 
fair play. So we got on very well and I'd still get on well with Alan and chat away to him. And um, he had said, you know, when we get to Patrick's Day, I'll get the American flag kind of thing. As a, I think it was more of a joke kind of in passing. And I was like, when we win it, you better have that there. So uh, as it turned out, then we, uh, we obviously won. And, and at the final whistle, Alan was right there in front of him with the flag. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. The flag is uh, it's back in the States, is it? It is. Then, in fairness, he he brought it over and kind of he gave it to my um, my dad over there. So I think he has it hanging up. And uh, he's kind of built a, a cabinet or a, well, it's more like a room now at this stage with different jerseys and stuff like that. So it's cool. Now it is cool. That's a nice nice moment meant memento to have. Definitely, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but then you came to to Boston, two thousand and eighteen. Yourself and Dermot came over. Yeah, so so I suppose from 2014, then I suppose that game that um, that year with Vince kind of really put me on the map with the Dublin senior team then. And I again, so if to put things into perspective, a kid growing up in New York never would have played any underage with Dublin, a minor under 21, anything like that. So for even it would be a big ask to try and get involved in the senior team. So I needed something like like this, the Vincent's thing, to kind of propel me into that kind of into the eye line of, of Jim Gavin and the um, and the Dublin selector. So thankfully, that kind of put me on the map and I started playing really well then between 2014, uh, 2015, 2016. I just kind of built on that, that, that All-Ireland win. And that kind of brought me into the Dublin setup then. And I just I loved every minute being involved there because it's like the next level they are looking at. Just every stat, the video analysis, it's basically a professional setup as close as you get. To be honest, I'd say it is probably more professional than some of the, the teams over in England, you know, the way they run it. Um, yeah. And you'd be getting in that, you know, half five and you might leave, you might get home then at half ten. So you're putting in serious hours to, to whether it's, you know, prehab, recovery, you know, video analysis, tactical training, everything you can imagine. So it's the highest level and for me it was just this is heaven this is where I wanted to be um so that was kind of from in around 2014 2015 and then won the All-Ireland in 2016 2017 and then I actually got a bad knock and I had to get a shoulder operation in November of 2017 and I did I missed most of the league then with Dublin and I was like if I'm going to be sitting on the bench all summer coming back, this isn't going to be, like, you're not going to get any game time. So if you miss the league, like, it's not like maybe another county where you have a chance to come in. Like, Dublin is so cutthroat and so much competition that if you're not in from the start, you're going to be sitting along, it's going to be a long summer. Like. And, uh, and and Dermot at the time was probably a bit fed up. Like, he had done, he'd been on that Dublin senior team since he's 18. So yeah. he was, wasn't was really arsed that year, you could say, or just wasn't yeah. just up for it. So, he was kind of thinking ahead and away and then after coming back I said you know what I wouldn't mind changing it up and doing something like that as well yeah. so the 18 then we went to yeah Donegal Boston and like you couldn't the crack we had that everyone there was just so so genuinely nice and I had Paddy McDevitt Park McLaughlin the lads just would do anything for you and I could genuinely consider them really good friends now I still keep them in good contact with them yeah was there anything Suppose maybe go back to Dublin a little bit, but when you you were in Boston, I know you grew up in New York, so I'm sure you had you know a, an impression or an, an idea of Boston. You know, I know if you'd ever been to Boston beforehand. I know Dermot, he had been over. I think we brought a brought over a bunch of players. You know, we had a small group, the friends of Dublin AA, and 
few years we brought some fellas over for a week, you know, just to raise a bit of money for the, the holiday fund. And Dermot yeah. came over. So he'd been to Boston before, but you know, just for a I suppose a week's crack, you know. Yeah. But, um was there any anything that might have biggest surprise maybe when you came over, something you didn't expect or that surprised you about the place or the the GAA scene maybe? Um yeah, like the, the probably there's probably two questions in that. Like the city itself, I had actually never been to Boston before, which yeah. I believe I might have been for like a, I think I was there for a hockey tournament or something when I was a kid, but I never actually been kind of as an adult, like you know. So like I couldn't believe it's very similar to Dublin in terms of like it's it's a niche kind of city. Um, it's not nearly as as mad as kind of New York in terms of big and the hustle and the bustle. It's kind of very residential. Um. And there's a great community vibe to it, and yeah. that's what I really liked about it. So we were staying in Southie, um, and it was just a really, really good spot. So I really loved the city. I just fell in love with the city. The the weather obviously was a great factor, uh, and <laughs> I was surprised. Yeah, like I was surprised at the standards. To be honest with you, like the thirteen aside is different, but you had some really top quality players coming over. Yeah. Um, so the standard was 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 actually very good, um, and I wasn't really not that I wasn't expecting it, but I was just surprised because of the heat and it's thirteen aside. It's a fast paced game. It's a, it's a nearly a different different sport. Like it's it's very um, it, it suits me now personally. I like that kind of that running and high high intensity and high pace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was great. I enjoyed, I just loved it, and that's why I went back then last year in twenty nineteen. Yeah, and uh, twenty eighteen. Um... I suppose obviously Dermot Conley coming out were here. That was oh, massive, yeah. The best player in the three leg cup to play here, you know. Mm. And like you kind of touched on it, I suppose. I mean, um, you know, people who say, Why wouldn't you Dublin and win another All Ireland? And I kind of said to someone, I said, Sure, already it's five. <laughs> you want yeah, exactly. Yeah. One six, he's been playing with the, some so long, you know. Yeah. Um, like people forget it's not a professional game, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, and you talked, about, you know, talked about like how dedicated you have to be, and year in, year out. Eventually, I suppose you look at you know, you, I mean, I can't be for it, obviously, but you just look at your life and you say, you know, you just need a year out from take a break, big time. Um, so that 2018 season, now, what I remember from it was maybe some of the performances in the dermis weren't maybe what people expected during some of the kind of regular season games, but you stood out on the field out there, you know, mobility up and down fields, you're attacking. And uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, Shane Carty's like, he's the, he's the man out there, you know? He was there, McConley's missing freeze. And, until the final. <laughs> until the final. Now, I have talked to people at home, you know, and maybe you can tell me. Personally speaking, and anyone I've talked to have talked about the performance in the final and it was I mean I thought it was just some of the points mm. he kicked and you were up against a very I to be honest with you I thought the Wolf Stones were going mm. beforehand <clears throat> but um uh the performance Dermot Conley's performance was unreal in that game a lot of people at home who wouldn't have seen it might have kind of amateur it's only Boston but you know you were up against a very 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 good team in the Wolf Town and it didn't seem to me like it was an easy <laughs> An easy victory at all. Now, what would your recollections be of the game? Um, I just I remember the the week building up to the game. Um, I actually broke a toe. Would you believe the week before the game? Uh, working, yeah. Um, I wasn't wearing like 
I was I was working with a, a kind of electrician and uh, I was actually a great lad. I get on well with him very well to this day. Still, he'll be in touch and he'll be sending me messages. How are we getting on over here? And so I've a good relationship um, with him since. But he was was working with himself as an elect. He was an electrician. Now I wasn't in no way an electrician anyway. And he was gone for a week, and I went working with another lad. Then just he uh, was a carpenter, so I didn't have work boots. And uh, anyway, went out and, and broke a toe. So I was. Uh, I was a bit freaked going into that game and seeing how it held up. And um, sure, once you get going, the adrenaline gets pumping. You don't feel a thing. And it was fine. But I remember, like you said, like you said, Dermot really hadn't probably been uh, shooting the lights out as everyone would be expecting. Right. Um, but to be honest, I knew when the pressure was on, Dermot is this kind of character that just needs a challenge. Like if we were going out tomorrow, whatever it is, playing golf and career, you know, I could be beating him for 17 holes. He comes up to the last one, and if and we said, right, winner take all here, and whatever it is, Dermot is going to be doing everything he can. He'll pipe one down the fairway, whatever it is. Right. He's just that right. character that when the pressure is on, he just rises it to another level. Um, and just being able to train with him, and you know, over here, he's become one of my best friends. And just I understand that his personality is very different to mine. Like like you said, I'd be trying to give you an eight, eight out of 10 every week. Yeah. Whereas Dermot, two or three out of 10, if it's a league game or whatever, and then it's an All-Ireland final or sorry, county final, and you just give him a little bit of, right, let's go, let's see it now. And that's when the real the, the, the real class shines through and, and he's just a different level. Um, but he does he does put a lot of work in as well and, and people don't, it just doesn't come like a flick of a switch, but he's yeah. got some serious... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you want... No, you're right. The Wolftones, in fairness, they had, um, um, I remember the build-up trying to, I think I was planning on marking Keenan from, from Loud. That's really Paddy Keenan, yeah. Paddy Keenan, yeah. So that was kind of my job was to, I suppose, to, to chop his head and, and make sure that they didn't get a platform in midfield. And right. uh, and then up front then, I think, I can't remember who they had up front. The, the guy from, from Westmead, wasn't it? Or, or Dolan? They had a Dolan from Westmead. Uh, James Dolan. James Dolan, yeah. So they, they, they just, they were, like you said, they were a very good team and we probably hadn't clicked as well as a team maybe leading up yeah. to that game. Um, we, we'd had a few very performances, sporadic, but nothing really, whereas they were probably consistent. Yeah. Um, but on the day, obviously, Dermot just took, took it up three or four different levels. And, and, and in fairness now, not only did Dermot play well, but defensively, you know, like at the back, Jason Ochter was was outstanding I can remember that day and um, put in some massive hits and um, we just we just thankfully got over the line just about yeah yeah it's really close it was great as a spectator I just remember it was a great game to watch I mean mm. one of those games you come away from a thing you go say that's a great you know great yeah setup. but um but with the Dublin setup you know you've been involved for for a few years and you were saying it takes a lot of a lot it takes up a lot of your time and for Dublin to have gone and won, what, seven All-Irelands the last nine years, what's the, from your perspective, I suppose, having maybe a little bit of an inside perspective on that, the secret to it, how do guys keep motivated? Is it uh, Jim Gavin, you know? People talk about magician. Uh, uh, no, like what Jim Gavin does so well is he creates that environment of high performance that um, it's next man up, that no one's position is safe, that everyone needs to be coming down to train and looking to, 
to kill the other guy and and the the best man gets the jersey um and i remember you know playing a lot of a versus b games being on the the, the just say the b team and whoever was trying to win and jim i remember one one particular i think it was the week before the Leinster final it might have been 2016 or 2017 and uh he said like this is the Leinster final here these are the two best teams in Leinster uh, talking about Dublin A and kind of Dublin B an internal house game and the killings that would be involved in those games <laughs> like, would be would be ferocious um, but they would nearly be more intense than, than the championship games up until probably the semi-final or the final of that year yeah. so to be honest they, that was the making and the breaking I'd say of the, the Dublin team the strength and depth right. that Dublin have is, is just is phenomenal just the fact that you're <clears throat> Your place isn't a given, no matter no matter what position you're in, right? Like that, that's it. And there's there's always there's thirty guys killing each other, but like there's those thirty guys would pretty much get on to any team in Ireland. Also, there's high caliber player in Dublin at the moment, and there has been probably for the last ten years. And and probably it probably goes back to the past Gilroy and um, that kind of era of creating that they kind of started, and Jim just took it up another two or three levels, you know. And there's, uh, yeah, talking about Pat Gilroy, he's the manager that broke the duck, 1995 to 2011. So, um, another Vincent's man. Another Vincent's man, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems you just get the feeling that once that duck was broken for Dublin, that the gates opened, you know. Because, um, you know, for the first few years, I suppose you would have had some new players, but essentially you would have been the same group of guys just going out there with a different attitude. Yeah, but it's funny how winning creates, um, you know, it just changed the mindset. It was the same with ourselves and with the club in 2013. Once we fell, we won the first Dublin Championship. Um, you know, we went on to win three or four. Yeah. After that, so it just kind of it creates that 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 bit of confidence amongst guys, you know. Yeah. Um. And last year you won the North American in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been nice to kind of you know round out your your summer with a, a North American, which is North American is the county guess over here. So yeah, to kind of go home with the. Yeah, it was. It was. Um. Last year was a funny one because, like, the team we got on, like, the team probably clicked very well in terms of we got on very well, but the performances weren't actually coming together. You know, we really struggled. We got beaten twice by. Um, I can ask you. No, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Connemara Gale, the Gale, sorry. The Gale. Yeah. yeah. The Gales beat twice that year. Yeah. And I remember any time I went into the um, what's the bakery there in uh, in Dorchester. Yeah, there'd always be someone in there, I swear to God, that would be shouting abuse about how the Gales are going to win this. And then you'd have someone else jumping up saying, oh, no, no, the Macs are going to win this. But Donegal aren't winning anything. And I'd just be there, oh, my God, get me out of here. Uh, so it was just funny because we weren't playing bad, but we just weren't winning games. Um, and next thing you know, it just clicked. And that's what happens sometimes. And... We played the Gales in a semi-final and we just had our work done and everything just went. Now, in fairness, we've Donegal, we're lucky. They had a, we have a great trainer in Barney Curran and the manager, Porrick, would have a great relationship with all the players and they have a great setup, you know. So, like, it wouldn't be far off what, what would be going on in most, most senior clubs over in Ireland. So, we, we just stuck at it and we knew that it would click when eventually and we beat the Gales well that day and then we just kind of had a, we had an interesting final then again, probably one of the, the biggest comebacks I'd say in, 
well definitely any any game I've ever been involved with yeah. Uh, yeah. just mad so yeah. we, we're lucky again a bit of a bit of magic from Barry John Keane the Kerry man and <laughs> right. the way we went you know so it was just a, it was a crazy ending to, to a great 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 summer again like like last year was, was incredible with the, just the, the crack you have and, and the, like the, everyone is just so nice I don't know if it's me but everyone just in Boston just seems to be so nice anyway you know from, yeah. from the Donegal I can only speak of positive experiences, to be honest. So yeah, yeah, I think for the most part, in on the Boston scene with the the get the GAA, and most people involved have a, a kind of a big picture perspective. You know, mm. Where people realise to get along and just figure out how to run a good champion year, you know. So, but yeah, that's good crack after the you know after the matches in Canton, having a couple of drinks. And yeah, you were involved in probably another last two Boston finals, probably two of the most memorable ones. <laughs> I can yeah. remember anyway, just the, yeah. the finish last year was, was unbelievable. Seven <laughs> points down with five, six minutes to go or something. Crazy. Yeah, and it just felt like it went like like so quick, like, like in the blink of an eye, you know. But it's funny, you just need to keep the, I know it's everyone says, you know, keep, keep believing and keep the head and all this kind of stuff but we, we that's genuinely what, what you need to do in those situations so yeah fortunate the max just kind of panicked and, and next thing you know we're the game's over and that's it it's done you know we're in for like a three punch. yeah oh crazy stuff but um come here to me Shane thanks for taking the time um and I suppose just one last question would be you know as speaking from the perspective of a Someone who grew up and learned the game in the States, you know, you learned to play in New York. That's where you picked it up first. And, you know, now you're back in Ireland and you're enjoying more success. And it's, you know, because you're putting it in yourself, but then most players in Ireland would ever enjoy. Right. Yeah, big what, time. What, what, uh, you know, what would you say to a young American kid who's coming up playing the game and like my own kids, for example, are just starting to play adult level. I know that uh, maybe I'll get on the gym, you know, because mm. they don't see themselves as unworthy of playing their football. Like, yeah. what would you say to American kids who, um, you know, who are coming up and, you know, maybe yeah, don't see themselves as good as the Irish guys that come over for the summer type of thing? What I kind of, I suppose, the way I'd, I'd look at it is that when I was that kid as well, I remember being a freshman in high school saying, to my friend saying, oh, like, do you think I might be able to make the New York senior team one day? And he said, oh, it depends on how many, you know, how many good players come out over the next couple of years and all this uh, kind of yeah. stuff. And, uh, you know, that's how sm- small my goal was at the time. And looking back, is, is like, that's, that, I, I had to change that. So my, my I suppose, the advice would be to, to dream big, to dream as big as possible. If you set your, your, your ambition to win, you know, five all Ireland's you might be lucky and win one, you know what I mean? So you have to you have to dream big and, and for me it was that like look I can here's what I can control. I can control like the coaching setup. I can control, you know, the season what way it is, but like what I can control is that I'm gonna work harder than anyone else. I can be the fittest, I can be the strongest, I can be you know, I can work on my left foot, I can work on my they're all things that I can work on by myself. I don't need anyone else to do that because the excuse would easily be, oh, well, we don't have the coaching, we don't have the facilities. Well, you, if you have a football and you have your two legs, you can you can train as hard as you can in, in America, as you, as hard as you can here. So right. that's just a mindset thing. And for me, it was it was getting over that that barrier. It was trying, trying to break down that barrier that Americans aren't good enough because at the end of the day, 
we all have two you have two arms and you have two legs whether you're from there or you're from here it didn't matter and it was the same mentality that look I'm going to be the best I can be by controlling everything that I can control yeah good advice so are you going to stay at home for a while or are you thinking of coming to class quick yeah no to be honest like i love it in ireland now like it's it is it is it is home now i've built i've built up a good um uh, a good life here you know i've a decent job and working away and, and still training away and football is still obviously a massive um factor for me and i want to continue to win more but i wouldn't rule out you know being back in boston anytime soon and um like the work that you know paddy mcdevitt and the guys do to, to run just I just say the, the Donegal club and I'd imagine it's the same with any club in Boston or New York that these guys are putting in it's just it's, it's incredible so like I'd love to be back and helping in any way um so if I was to go back I'd say maybe Boston would be the spot for me yeah um real 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 draw to, to the city and to the people there so um I wouldn't rule out Boston definitely yeah who knows we'll yeah. see now how this whole COVID thing plays out in the next couple of years oh well, that's, but, uh, that's the Looks like it could take much longer than we thought it was gonna take, you know. Could take a couple of years, you know, so you just you just don't know. Yeah. Well you'd be a great example, you know, you'd be a great example for I think underage players in the States into the a role model of what what American kids can achieve in themselves. Appreciate yeah. you taking the time, Shane. Have a good no night. problem at all. Now we speak with Pat and Ashling about the current structures in place for youth development as well as the longer-term future of the games in the region, especially in the light of emigration from Ireland being reduced to practically nothing, and how the game can be passed on not only to a second generation, but beyond that to third and fourth generations of kids. So we're joined by Pat O'Malley and Ashling Kerr, um, both people who have been born and raised in Boston and spend countless hours involved with underage development and coaching and um, uh, both have also played the game. <coughs> uh, Ashling still plays with the Connacht ladies and I know Pat used to play with Mayo. Um, so just to start off um, <coughs> I'd like to ask you a little bit about your backgrounds you know so Ashling if you you know were to let us know or talk to us a little bit about um, you know what got you involved in Gaelic games? You know, as a as a, a, a child, I guess, of Irish immigrants, and 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 what it is that keeps you involved and keeps your interest. Yeah, thanks, Rory. First of all, for having us on, this is a, a great initiative. So good to see um, lots of activity on the the Northeast GA front, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of other great people too to follow myself and Pat here. Um, I guess my earliest memories of involvement here in in Boston were just being attached to my dad's hip. Um, my dad managed the Gales for years, so I remember being in Dillboy or being in Canton. I think I was the official Gales water girl for quite some time before I even started <laughs> kicking a football. Um, but eventually got involved, um, was very fortunate, had a real good group of players in the same age group as me. Um, Jack Lynch, AJ McGuire, Kevin Walsh, Morris Young, Caroline Nee. So a lot of players that went on to play at adult level here in Boston. We had a real good bunch. Um, got to go to the Fela, first ever Boston team to go to Fela. Again, just, you know, real good people involved, real good players, a bunch of families and a bunch of kids that were really committed to the sport and really just enjoy playing and being together. Um, so I guess from there, that sort of opened my eyes to Thala to, to what all it could be. Loved CYCs, obviously. Um, loved the people you we were spending time with, the people you were playing with, 
eventually made my way onto some of the USGA panels, got to meet friends from Chicago and San Fran and Philly that are still very good friends to this day. Um, and then obviously got involved at adult level too, first with their Scammon ladies and then later the Connick ladies. Um, and that just opened a whole new world as well of friendships and connections and being able to play with players of, you know, the caliber of inter-county footballers, Sinead Green, former captain of the Cavan ladies team, all Ireland winners, things like that. Um, my own aunt at one stage too, um, a, a several time all-star. So just a lot of different walks of life. Um, I guess two big GA families from my mom's side and my dad's side. So it was always in me. Um, but I think it's definitely something that you fall in love with over the years. And, it, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to how many opportunities I was given. I was so incredibly fortunate between being involved in a good underage setup that we had the opportunity for the failure, getting dragged into the, to the Roscommon ladies by Caroline Herty when I was 13 or 14 years old. Um, but, you know, just so many opportunities that I'm so grateful for that really made, made the sport and made the community what it is for me um, and has now kind of become my my passion and my driving force and trying to do the same for the younger generations now and in coaching and being involved in development. Mm. And your, uh, your own, I suppose, family background is, um, you know, very steeped in, in, in the GAA, like you've had, you mentioned your aunt, but you've had uncles playing for Tyrone and your aunt played for Tyrone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on my mom's side, the Gormleys, they're a big, big family from Carrickmore, a big, um, football club in Tyrone. So few uncles, uh, my aunt obviously reached a very high standard too, although Tyrone in her, her day never really reached a high caliber as a county. She was certainly high regarded, um, well regarded as an individual player. Um, so that was really special getting to play with her too, you know, and just being able to pick things up from them over the years. And then on my dad's side, they're a big handball family actually, but my, my dad always was big into the football too. Um, my grandfather, my granda care, played on the first Tyrone team to ever win an Ulster title in 1956. So well steeped on both sides. I didn't really have a choice when it came down <laughs> to it. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it fits now. We wear it well. So. <laughs> and Pat, um, your own background, I believe you're a, I guess your own kind of family would have roots in Mayo. Is that right? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, Rory, thanks for having me too. And it's great to be on with Ashling uh, too. Um, so I'm obviously, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit older than Ashling. I'm, I'm, I'm in my fifties. I'm in my early fifties. And, uh, so, you know, the GA started with me, uh, with my father, my mother and father are both from, are both immigrants would have come over in the 1950s. And, uh, you know, there was a huge generation that came over during those times. And, uh, so the, the, the big, draw to me was my father was a big uh, GA person, would be a huge Mayo supporter. Both my mother and father would be big Mayo supporters. Mm -hmm. And uh, then probably also my first uh, youth coach was uh, a gentleman by the name of Luke Tunney, who uh, was also from Mayo and uh, settled in Needham, where my family also settled. And uh, there was quite a, you know, a decent sized uh, Irish population in Needham at the time. And uh, he had the idea, let's let's try and start a, a youth program. And uh, as a result of that, I started playing. And that was probably uh, in the early 1980s. And so at that time, uh, we there was probably maybe three or four teams, nothing like it is now in terms of it being structured and that kind of thing. We would generally get together in the, during the summers and um, we would play other local teams. There was uh, so I would have played with a team called Galway, and that was made up of half of the kids were from Brighton, um, 
in Boston, and the other half was from Needham. Um, we would play against teams. Uh, St. Colm Kills had a team, which I, I know that uh, you played for their adult team, Rory, over the years. I did. And uh, then there was a team in Jamaica Plain. At various times, there was an earlier team from Milton, and we used to play them. And um, so that was during the early 80s. I probably played five or six years then, probably stopped as a U16 because, um, you know, one big thing that kind of hurt the youth league at that point was that we were playing out in Dilboy and um, it was tough to get, um, you know, we didn't have a central place to play. Right. And, and and now that I see that everything is kind of centered around Canton, even though clubs practice in other places and that they can come to the Irish Cultural Center, I can see how that can really help a youth development uh, clubs to grow and that kind of thing. So. So mm -hmm. I would have, um, you know, between the ages of 16 and 19, I really didn't play. I was more involved in maybe American sports, played a little bit of baseball and basketball. That was kind of the generation that I, I was in. But um, as I'm sure Ashling can say, and you might can even see now, Rory, with your own kids, that, you know, once high school ends in America, there isn't much for you. And um, I was still going to the games with my father out in Dilboy and, um you know, really loved team sports and wanted to be involved in team sports. And so I joined um, the Galway adult team then for a couple mm -hmm. of years, played junior um, when they would have me. You know, we, I certainly was by no means a great player. So I was lucky to get on a team. And um, Mayo started a club uh, with Luke Tunney and a few others. Um, as some of the younger kids got older, um, he decided that it Let's see if we could start a, a Mayo adult team. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was during the early 1990s. And um, so I would have played junior football then. And what's funny, Rory, what I remember playing during the late 90s, and and it started, it became apparent that there was going to be a field in um, Canton at that point. And I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to continue playing. I want to play one game in Canton that that was kind of my goal at the time. And uh, because at the time in the early 90s, there was tons of young Irish coming out. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was difficult to make teams. And, and, you know, when you didn't have, when you didn't play a lot as a kid, it became difficult to make teams. And uh, then when Canton did start in the late 90s, um, it really, I don't know, it, it really, set a fire in me to to keep playing and to be more involved and um so that, that that's where it was so it really as ashling would say and i would see in the boston ga the boston ga really is about families and whether it's the kerrs or the o'malley's the o'donnell's you know it's great to see that the heart and soul of the boston ga i think is the families and you know that they everybody gets to know different members of the family and that kind of thing. So that, that, that's, that's, that's a little bit about my background with the GAA anyway, right. Rory. Yeah. And I think uh, you, you might still be playing a bit, Pat. I saw you, you talked out last year. Yeah. Yeah. For a match up in, um, <laughs> up in Maine. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Going you, forward, Rory, of you, course. You look yes. pretty good out there. Yeah. Yeah, right. oh, we're waiting on confirmation, Rory, whether we talked out last weekend too or not. Yeah. Well, there's, diff there's, there's some di different reports going around. Now, so it's fine. Yeah. 
So thanks, Pat and, and Ashling. And uh, talking about, um, I suppose we go back to Ashling talking about um, the challenges, I suppose, that you've got um, with, you know, the game and, and keeping the game alive or, or growing the game here. You know, right now, obviously, we're faced with the, the challenge of the coronavirus and, um, you know, how that's had an that's had a, a fairly big negative impact, especially when it comes to, um, you know, the Fela team couldn't travel to Ireland for the, the girls or boys. And the CYC uh, was cancelled. And they're both key events um, in terms of developing the game. And especially with the Fela team, Ashley, maybe you can tell us a little bit about getting um, the girls team. Because last year was the first year that Boston sent a girls team. And the very next year, this year, you know, no one can go. So, you know, what do you think? Of, <clears throat> how do you think that's you know, going to impact, um, you know, our efforts to, to kind of keep the game going with the younger kids. Yeah, it was, it was disappointing, obviously, Rory, but totally understandable given the circumstances. Um, and especially now, right. I mean, it was, it was probably March or April when the failure was canceled. And at the time, you know, there was mixed receptions on it, but I think looking back now, it was definitely the right thing to do given everything that's transpired since, since then up to now. Um, but you know, it's tough. We have a lot of, a lot of girls, um, and a lot of boys too. We've been very fortunate over the last couple of years. My Pat and my dad actually, um, they were involved in getting the first, the second rather. I'll t- uh, will take claim my group as the first fail team to ever go to Boston, oh. kind of a, a standalone <laughs> instance. But then my dad and Pat revamped it and got it going again. Um, and Pat, I think was that 2016? Was that the first year you guys went? 16 or 17, yeah. Uh, and then <clears throat> might have been 16, yeah. And I think it's been consistent yeah. for the boys now over the years. So this would have been what the fourth or fifth year, fifth year maybe for the boys going. Um, and it's been great for the boys to see kind of how you know, the changing of the guard there it was my dad and Pat for a while. And now it's, you know, you have your Mick Sammons, you have Eamon Kelly, you have Martin O'Reardon, Martin Faraday, um, Mossy Murphy was involved too. So a lot of different people that are kind of coming through the system too, as, as their players reach that age, which brings a whole, you know, it, it's a fresh kind of, you're getting a fresh breath of air every year into the failure program for the boys, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you're mixing up the coaching, you're mixing up the faces and it's done a lot to promote it. You know, we, we have our under tens and our under twelves. Now we're looking at your under 14 year and saying, Oh, I want to go to the failure, right? That's what they're playing for. It's, it's, you know, it's huge excitement. Um, definitely something to look forward to on the calendar every year. It's a great trip for the families as well. We have a blast. We got the first girls team going last year. We had tried a couple of years before that, but just couldn't really get the numbers. It worked out for us last year. We were still kind of scraping up into the last minute of registration to get numbers, but we got the minimum 20, which was great. We had some under 10s thrown in there, some under 12s thrown in there. Um, but, you know, the girls did a great job. We had a blast with them over the four or five months that we were training. Um, I think they all really enjoyed it. We had Barney Kern came in and helped train the team, too. He was training the Donegal team last summer as well, so he had his hands full. But, again, brought a ton of energy to it. The girls loved it. Um, brought a level of professionalism to the setup that, you know, we hadn't seen before, even though it was our first year, but it definitely set the standard for going forward. We learned a lot as coaches, myself and, and Tutsi Carr and Karina Duffy, um, and, you know, had a great time with the kids. That's really what it was all about. Then we got into this year in the winter months. Um, the Fela team has traditionally done some indoor practices starting in January just to keep the kids playing, keep them engaged. And it very quickly became pretty competitive this year. 
um, both the boys and the girls found themselves with anywhere from 30 to 40 kids to pick from for the fail teams this year, which was huge, especially for the girls to go from kind of scraping to get the 20 last year in your first year to having all of a sudden 35 girls to pick from that are all really good players, really good standard and would be great contributors to a team was really difficult. Um, but it's a good problem to have. And, you know, I think that's what my dad and Pat set out in that first voyage in, in 2016. I think that's exactly the problem they would have liked to have when they looked at it and said, okay, where are we going to be in five years? I think that was the goal. So, so Pat and my dad set us up there. Um, but I, you know, I think it just speaks to the development that's going on. We're very fortunate now. Again, go back to that group that my dad and Pat have. I think that's a really pivotal group, that group of sort of minors now, those 16, 17, 18, even your 19 year olds, because they've all been together now for the better part of 10 years. Um, they're playing with the Sean Oaks now, the boys especially, but I think just mm-hmm. being able to keep that group together the way Pat and my dad and then the coaches involved there too, Sonny Joyce, um, Joe Morrissey, uh, Boxcar Driscoll, a lot of people are involved in that group, but I think being able to keep those kids yeah, together Martin, has really... Martin, yeah, Martin Faraday too. Martin Faraday yeah. too, sorry. Yeah. Has, you know, th- that's kind of laid the roadmap for what it takes to keep kids together. Um, and it's given the girls something to strive for. It's given the boys at the younger age groups something to strive for. You know, you, first you have your FELA, and then you're going to your under-16 level, and you're getting these kids together from different clubs. And, you know, they're playing competitive games against New York. They're playing, they're, they're traveling. They're going to Connecticut. They're doing weekends away. They're, they're having a good time at CYC. And then they're looking to the Sean Oaks. And then they're moving on to an adult club. And it really becomes this pathway, this player pathway that we really didn't have before. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's huge. The foundations that were laid there with that, that group of 17, 18, 19-year-old boys right now and what's been achieved with that group has really done a lot for the whole the division as a whole um, and has really just set us up for, for strengths and, and progress all along. So there's a, there's a lot to say there for those foundations. And um, from what I hear, I know that we have clubs have managed to, to get out and start practicing um, the underage clubs in the town. And uh, But from what I'm hearing, I suppose for you, Pat, because of the, the um, older kids, the 16s and 18s, that there, there's very good numbers at the practices and you've managed to have couple of friendlies just kind of you know to hit on what Ashling talked about there that those yeah. kids have kept together they're still playing they're kind of on the cusp of playing adult football right. um so how's that yeah. looking yeah so you know rory uh, so you know that failure t- so first of all there you know there, there was other american-born kids who played you know before kind of our what i would say the 2016 failure team you know you know certainly marching coin had uh, had a great group of kids that probably would have overlapped with you yep. um uh, ashling yeah right? a couple years ahead of me yeah, and then donny yeah. Keneally had a squad too several yeah. of his own included but there, there's and, definitely yeah there's a couple generations before that 2016 and, failure then, and then even before that um i even remember playing junior b football with mayo and we had some great games against um the Celtics. The Celtics. and you know so that was pj guild's kind of group and that yeah, was the, the, the I would say between maybe 2005 and 2015 type of thing and unfortunately just like in a lot of other clubs you know they all were around the same age they all got old at the same age and you know that that's that seems to be the kind of the history of the GAA too is that you know unfortunately you need to be bringing in new players all the time otherwise everybody gets old at the same mm-hmm. time and that's that's what happened to uh to mayo anyway like you know we we all got old at the same time so you know there has always been players coming through 
And I think that we're kind of at a stage now where we we can look back over the last 20 years and really try and learn from the um, the roadmap that has been set out between, you know, the players from the Celtics to uh, some of the players who went, who went to the Blues to, you know, the kids that are coming through now uh, who are maybe U18, U16, maybe even a little bit older than that, U20s and uh, all the way down to what the failure team is now. And, you know, I think it would be great now that we do have, we're getting numbers of kids to really, maybe it would be a good idea to have a conversation with uh, a lot of them and see, you know, what works, uh, what do we need to work on? And, um, no, I think that would be helpful going forward. But in terms of, like, training so far, I mean, the first night that we had trained during the summer and we had been off for three months as a result of COVID, you know, we weren't sure whether or not what we should be doing. Should we be having this? Should we not be having this? Just like the rest of society, you know, you don't know what is the right thing to do. But it became apparent to me when we went down there and we could see all the kids you know, had a real enthusiasm about just meeting all the other kids. And, um, you know, it it really opened my eyes this summer as to how important it is for everybody to be involved in something, whether you're a supporter, you're a player, you know, you get a little bit of game time, you, you know, you play senior football, you play junior B football, you know, there is... There is definitely a need in Boston for, you know, all for, for there to be a, a vital and vibrant GAA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, that's what I took away from this summer. And, um, you know, I think when people are away from something that you hope that they come back um, with more hunger for it. And that's what I'm hopeful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that's how I look at it. Just something you said there, Pat, nearly it, it touches on some, on what Ashling brought up about her own involvement. Um, you know, you said the kids were not, you know, not having seen each other for so long when they got together, they were delighted to, to see each other. So, you know, Ashling had talked about connections and kind of friends and, and that that's a lot of what, what kept her involved. Um, so that obviously is important, but it also sounds like, you know, looking back on years gone by, um, that now with the CYCs, which obviously have been going on, but with the FALA team and the Sean Oaks Junior B team, that the structures are, if they're not all in place, at least it looks like there's a pipeline in place to, to keep kids hooked in and and uh, keep them involved where they can see a future for themselves playing the game. Would you say that's true, Ashling? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly the goal of the Sean Oaks, Rory. And, and Pat spoke a little bit about, you know, the Celtics in, in previous iterations, sort of, of these American-born player pipelines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're fortunate here in the Northeast Division to have had that history. Um, you look at other cities, Philadelphia, for example, where they're trying these similar American-born player models. Delco Gales, for example, has just started their own adult teams, too, which are competitive teams and a lot of really good players um, and are performing very, very well in, you know, in the competitions they're participating in. Um, but I think with the formation of the Sean Oaks, there's a lot of people involved who sat down and really thought through it. People like Pat, like my dad, like John Farrell, folks like that who have been around for a long time and have seen all those generations and kind of had some of that that history and that background on okay what 
what went wrong with the Celtics because the Celtics were great. They won a couple junior championships. I think they competed in North American championships several times too. Same with the Blues, right? They had that pipeline of marching coins players. Um, you know, the Christophers won a North American senior title with five American-born players starting on the field in Boston. And I forget what year that was. Right. So it's definitely there. It's never been an issue of the caliber of players that we're producing or the, or the ability of American-born players to compete with Irish players. Um, mm-hmm. And if anything, the exposure to playing at a higher standard, playing with an Irish players, being able, even if it's just training, right, you're, you're going to improve so much as a player, as an individual, um, and as a member of a team. So it, it's never that's never been the issue. I think it was just how do we find a better way to make sure that these players are, A, staying in the system, that, they, that they're finding a club that they want to be a part of, that they're going to be a contributing member of for a long time, that they're going to be encouraged to stay with. Um, how do we evenly disperse our players amongst our clubs? Because we want every club to be able to benefit from the homegrown talent here. At the end of the day, you know, there's not much benefit if all of our players are going to one or two different clubs. Five years from now, what are we left with? One or two different clubs. Um, right. So I think that was a big emphasis. That was a big driving force too behind the Sean Oaks and this idea that, okay, this is, this is a development academy. That's what the Sean Oaks are. Players are coming here. They're spending two or three years with their friends and then, you know, then they're saying, okay, look, guys, it's, it's, you have to go find the club now, whether it's the club your, your dad's involved with, your uncle's involved with, or if you don't have a club, we'll set you up. We you make connections. And I think we've really encouraged the adult clubs to, to come out and see the Sean Oaks and make those connections with kids too and get talking to them because mm-hmm. um, that's so important. It, it really is about the longevity and the viability of the division, which is the health and success of all our clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really been the underlying force in the Sean Oaks and sort of the path that was chosen there for this player development at between that minor and 20-ish or so age group um, was getting these kids ready to be competitive players and be contributing players in, at, in adult clubs, whether it be, you know, whether they're a junior A player, whether they become a senior player, whatever it is, just making sure that that these are players that clubs will want and clubs will be able to hold on to for a long time and that will be playing for a long time, hopefully. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, we, I suppose it's, it's kind of, um, you know, been spoken about many times about the um you know the fact that really since september 11th um you know there hasn't there haven't been people coming over from ireland that have that direct connection to ireland and the games and you know you talked about adult clubs taking the kids on and it you know it seems obvious that it's in the interests of the adult clubs to to get involved and to pay attention to what's going on because from what I'm hearing, there's a, there's a lot of under 16 and under 18s coming up through the system, and they'll be looking for clubs to play with. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- th- that is definitely true, Rory. And I, um, I would say that our adult board has been very supportive of the youth system here too. And you know, rules are changing in North America. You know, there, there has been rule changes where in the adult clubs, um, I think it's started uh, this year, it was going to be even in senior football, they had to have one, what we call homegrown. Is that, yep. is that the right term, homegrown now? Yep. Um, player, you know, the junior teams, the intermediate teams have to have two homegrown players, which, you know, is only going to um, really help find places for, for, for American born players to play. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, the, the adult board has been very supportive and, um, you know, the question is like you have said, Rory, over the years when immigration has gotten harder and, you know, as a result, it seems like there's more, uh, 
summer players kind of playing, and which is great. I mean, I love seeing summer players coming. I think um, th- that it, we all want to see summer players coming. The question is, you know, at some level, is the st- you know, if we have so many away base players playing, is the standard so high that it's going to be tough for American-born players to play at the highest standard? So these are all questions that, as a division, we'll have to try and figure out. And you know, you know, I think for a certain, you could say we're kind of making it up as we go along. And uh, you know, we'll 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 see how the rule changes affect American-born players. Hopefully, they it'll be positive. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that, but but in terms of numbers. You know, I mean, there's probably between 40 and 50 between U16s. I would say every year over the next five years, you're going to be adding 10 to 15 new players every year. And, you know, you hope that they're being dispersed between the clubs because Mm -hmm. I really think that the clubs can appreciate, you know, that they're going to, you know, two or three good home-based players on a club is a huge addition, you know. Mm Yeah, there's yeah. there's a, there's a huge pipeline. It, it's probably the biggest pipeline we've ever had as a division, and and probably as USGA, I think the numbers are pretty consistent elsewhere too in other divisions for these these age groups. And again, a lot of it, Rory, is due to the fact that you know there's a lot of immigration in the '90s. Those that's the generation now that that's these kids are starting to grow up and they're reaching that 14, 15, 16 um, age group. And as long as they're still playing, they're generally pretty good players. You know, these kids are playing a lot of other sports. They're they're good athletes, and these skills transfer pretty well. Um, but you know, the buy-in has been huge too, from the clubs here in the division. We've been very fortunate as Pat mentioned, not only with the support from the adult board, Peter Murray and and his team, um, there, but also the buy-in from the adult clubs themselves. I think we're at a place now where clubs and people involved in clubs, the longtime GA people here in Boston really understand what's, what this is that we're trying to achieve collectively and really see the big picture, which is huge. Um, you know, I, I think, it, it's going to be a little bit of a shift, right? The, these rules about American-born players, to Pat's point, okay, so you're not seeing 13 summer players on the field anymore, right, or with a few home-based players interspersed. You're seeing a couple American kids all of a sudden now too. But if anything, it just brings balance. You know, that's not to say we can't still have the great Darren McConleys and the great players we've seen over the years and been fortunate to, to see playing on the field in Canton. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just will bring a new layer. And the right. rally, reality of it is too, right, you're not going to have those home-based players the, the way you used to. So you're going to need these kids stepping in and they'll become your home base players. And hopefully we'll be able to play at the caliber that a lot of home base players had been as well, as long as they're exposed and, you know, they're, they're getting pulled in and, and being made part of the club and benefiting from that training and being exposed to that higher standard too. And uh, the, the last, I guess the last thing I really want to, to, to touch on is um, something that you just mentioned, Ashling, <clears throat> about, um, you know, the generation that we're seeing now are, are the kids that are, you know, kids of the people that came over from Ireland in the 80s and probably early 90s. <laughs> and the question is, um, and I know, Pat, you're, you're, you're passing the game on to your kids. Your kids are all very much involved playing the game, playing Gaelic football and hurling in both sports. Um, you know, and you as a first generation, I guess, Irish-American, you're p- passing it on to the next generation. And I suppose the question is then, when these kids, you know, they grow up, hopefully, uh, I suppose what I'm, the question I'm getting at is, isn't getting that these kids involved and feeling part of these clubs right through their adult years crucial to them passing the game on? Absolutely, Rory. I mean, and, and, and that's why 
you know, through the three youth clubs that are in Boston, whether it's ISYL or Trinity or St. Brendan's, you know, it's as you know, I, I'm I'm an older coach at this point, and one thing that I have learned or that I have seen is that you know that the every kid who comes out can be an important member of an adult club. Like my, I, I see our success, not whether or not we're winning U8 titles or U10 titles, but how many of those kids are we getting to adult clubs? And that's not even if they're playing with adult clubs. Maybe they're being supporters of adult clubs. Maybe they're the next chairperson of the Northeast board. Maybe they're taking a, a board position because the people who are in those those positions are just as important as any player, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at, um, you know, even, you know, so I'm involved with the ISYL Youth Club, and I look at the people who run, who have run that over the years, whether it's Sagel, our current chairperson, or Ellen Joyce, who has been chairperson for a long time, Lean Byrne, you know, if some of the kids who are going through and playing now decide, you know what, I would, I, I'm going to be part of a, of a youth board. I mean, that is a huge uh, way that people can grow the sport in, um, in Boston. So it's not just about playing. It's about being part of, a, and, and that's what the great part of the GAA really is, right? It's a community organization, and you're encouraging people to be, to be active, to get involved, to take a small role, and maybe that small role turns into a bigger role. Mm -hmm. So... You know, as coaches, I, I would encourage people, you know, just don't look at what's happening on the field. You know, you know, kids have different levels of, of skill and interest. But, you know, if you if you look at them like, you know, maybe this kid could be a supporter or could really help further down the line. I think it might be a good way for us all to to go forward, like, you know. So keeping the kids that might, you know, clubs might be looking at these kids and saying, well, they're really good, we want them, but keeping everybody involved, however they can stay involved. Completely vital, yeah, yeah. I, I think. And I guess I give you the last word on that, Ashling. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's about, you know, from a coaching perspective, I think from a development perspective, the objective of the Northeast Minor Board, the objective of the Northeast Board when we look at our underage programs for the last couple of years really has been about developing people and players, right? When you, when mm -hmm. you talk about coaching philosophy, that's, you know, you'll hear Jim Gaffin talk about it a lot. It's, it's not just players, it's people. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's what we've tried to do a good job with. There's always room for improvement. We're always trying, but I think the numbers that we've, that we're looking at now are a good testament to that um, in terms of you're building something that people obviously care about. That is, that is attractive to people that they want to stay involved in. Um, and then what does that become, right? Every player will have their own pathway then, you know, it's, Pat talked about it. It's, it's a club administrator. Chances are when we're out there coaching on a Tuesday night, we're not just coaching a, a future senior football championship winner. We're not just coaching a future North American championship winner or a referee. We're also coaching someone who's probably going to be chair of the Northeast board at some stage or mm -hmm. secretary or treasurer have some really important role that will help move things along, um, and help keep the wheels turning on what's a, what's a really special ecosystem that we have here in the Northeast. And we're, we're very fortunate to have so many good people involved, but a lot of it for me too, just goes back to the connections, the friendships. I think if you can build something where I think looking back on my, my younger playing days, we used to joke um, myself and kind of our generation that we were all summer friends, right? You only saw each other 
once a week on Sundays for two or three months. And then you had four or five days together at CYC's and then you didn't see anyone for nine months. You had a Christmas party maybe, but you didn't see each other then for until the next summer. But that's not the case anymore. These kids are seeing each other all the time. These friendships are natural. They're organic. They want to spend time with each other. And that's huge. That's mm. huge in, in keeping them involved, not only playing, but also keeping them involved at the adult level too, when they, when they become club officials, hopefully in, in members of clubs. Um, Cause you know, it's no different than, why am I involved in an adult club myself now? It's friendships, it's connections. It's not just, you know, you enjoy playing, but it's also, these are your friends. These are people you spend time with um, in your social time as well. Um, so that's a big part of it as well. Thanks, Ashling. <laughs> so I guess the bottom line is whether it's in Ireland or whether it's in Boston or the United States, it all boils down to community. Amen. So, yeah, we're, we're, and we're very fortunate to have a very big, good one here in the Northeast. Yeah. Lots, oh, yeah. lots, of di- lots of different layers, but it's good. <laughs> well, thanks for your time. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll, you know, hopefully the, the COVID restrictions will lift and, and we'll be able to, to kind of go, go 110% maybe later this year or, or at least next year. So I, would, I definitely look forward to it anyway, Rory. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Roy. Hope everyone's hope everyone's holding up well and looking forward to seeing what else comes out of this this podcast, including a name and a, a theme song too. We'll await Absolutely. that in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, I need to get my creative side going on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, and um, you know, sure, I'm sure we'll see each other on the the side of a football or hurling pitch sometime soon. Thanks again. Great. Thanks, All Roy. Right. Take care. Thanks very much. Bye bye. We'll see you, Pat.